Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in this one, I'm joined by David Hardesty, the man behind the Rockets powerhouse fan website, clutchfans.net, a regular on the podcast and somebody who's seen a ton of Rockets drafts over the years. And David, I guess it's safe to say that this was better than Jeremy Lamb, Terrence Jones, and Royce White for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, as far as the excitement level, I remember being very excited back then. You know, even Royce White, it didn't quite pan out, uh, obviously, as they had hoped. But I do think this draft is the best one the Rockets have had in a long, long time. I mean, maybe going back to, to Yao Ming, as far as you've you've reeled in an impact player and you've got a lot of guys as well that could be significant players as part of a rebuild. Yeah, Yao Ming was definitely a ton of excitement just because of the odd nature of, of Yao. But let's start with the first pick. And I want to go through all the picks with you, but starting with Jalen Green. And I know you've been leaning Evan Mobley throughout the process. Did Mobley stiff-arming the Rockets in workouts or Green's pre-draft presser change your thinking in those last few days before the draft? Just a little bit, but yeah, it did bother me because I thought to myself, you know, Evan Mobley, you know, he needs to show that he's, that the challenge was before him to earn that spot and he didn't take the challenge. And I think that knocked him down just a touch to me. I personally thought he got bad advice or something. It did sound like he didn't even work out for the, the Pistons. I, I liked the player type that he is. I think that if he pans out offensively, he could be a really great player in this league. I think his potential to be an all-defensive player is there. On nights when the offense isn't there, you're always going to see the defense. And I think that's what drew me to him. But you know what? I mean, I I could talk up Jalen Green just as much as far as what he could be. Um, And I think that's, you know, the Rockets viewed him as a guy who uh, is so incredibly athletic, such great fast twitch athleticism. And he's extremely skilled that he could be you know, I, I don't like to use the term Kobe, but that type of a player where he's just outstanding as far as a scorer and his work ethic is such that he's constantly going to be improving. So that's the hope in taking Jalen Green over Evan Mobley. A couple of things really stuck out to me, David, because you look at somebody like Jalen Green and everybody says, well, he's a little one dimensional coming into the NBA, but he's constantly talking about his defense. When you watch these interviews that he did with Mike Schmitz on YouTube going over, you know, just some of the different plays and the breakdowns, you see his mind working and the way he thinks in terms of, I need to get better. This is what I'm doing wrong. I was really impressed, David, with the fact that here's some somebody that takes that sort of criticism. And instead of going to try to defend himself, I, I felt like, Everything that I saw with him in these interviews with Mike Schmitz is he was talking about what he did wrong before Schmitz was. Yeah, you know, and and he has such a love of basketball that it's really not going to seem like work for him and guys like him. I think, you know, hopefully that he's that focus is on defense, as you mentioned, that he'll he'll turn to that. And I think Rockets GM Rafael Stone wasn't even shy at the press conference as far as, you know, turning to Jalen and saying, hey, and we're going to work on that defense because it's obviously a work in progress and there's a lot of progress to be made there but the reports of his work ethic his love of the game his drive and will to win i mean those are the kind of things you look for and suggest that that player is going to make those those improvements you know scoring wise i think we just need to see that his shot is for real i think he's always going to have this blow by ability his first second third step as stone pointed out are, are elite um he can jump like nobody else in the league really just an electric 
score. Let's see how good the shot is. It looks promising. Over the next few years, we want to see him improve defensively. And if so, I think the Rockets have a foundation piece. I guess my thinking on this was there were two prospects here in Green and Mobley that you're trying to split hairs. And philosophically, I like Jalen Green because, number one, he's that guy that you're going to be able to give the ball to at the end of the game and get the bucket for you. He's that type of player because of his position. And Evan Mobley, you know, he could turn into one of these guys, but it's a lot tougher when you're as tall as he is because really, David, I can only think of two guys in the last 25 years that fit that description that have won a championship. And that would be, you know, and I don't want to besmirch Chris Bosh, and I know there's those comparisons, but he wasn't one of those guys. It was LeBron and Dwayne Wade, but it's Kevin Durant and Dirk Nowitzki, and I can't think of anybody else. And when you're splitting hairs and you're trying to find, okay, what are the odds that this guy's going to turn into somebody like that? Jalen Green has the odds over somebody like Mobley. I would agree with that. As far as offensively and being a go-to scorer, I think that's a very fair statement. Offensively, if you were looking strictly offense, this is a no-brainer pick. I mean, Mobley, is he's got a lot of promising tools offensively. I think he's got the progress to make there. The biggest draw to Evan Mobley for me was simply his ability to, to cover ground. There were so many clips of him at USC switching out to guard a guard or a wing on the perimeter, maybe as far out as the three-point line. That player cuts the pass down low and Mobley's there to, to block that shot. His ground coverage is similar to that of a Draymond Green, a guy who can switch, can be a, an imposing force on defense, regardless of the lineup that's out there. And I think unlike Green, he's more of a rim protector. He's a, he's a shot blocker as well. So he's unique. I mean, they threw the name Unicorn out on him, um, but he's unique in that regard. But yes, to, to get back to what the Rockets actually have, I, I think offensively, if you were just looking as go-to guy, it would be a no-brainer in favor of Green. The other thing Jalen Green has over Evan Mobley, and let's just be honest about this, his suit game was way better. <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's already a star. I mean, as far as how he handles himself and and, and fashion and all that, he's already got the the, the star mentality. And um, yeah, I mean, both at the draft and at the Rockets press conference, his uh, his fashion choices really stood out. Was there anything that he said as far as his relationship and everything with Kevin Porter that might have been a little bit too much for you? Because my concern with him is I want him to be a model for Kevin Porter as opposed to, hey, I'm going to be Kevin Porter's best buddy because I feel like Kevin Porter needs somebody to kind of pull him along and turn him into a guy that's better from a work ethic than he's been so far in his career. Yeah, you know, one thing I'll say in favor of KPJ is we're seeing this guy playing basketball everywhere this offseason. He's putting in work from, from everything that I've heard. He's out there, you know, busting his tail. And I think on-court talent has really not been a question for KPJ, even the Cavs. I mean, former teammates of his, I think even Kevin, I think it was Kevin Love mentioned that, you know, KPJ was the most talented player on that team. You know, some of the off-the-court distractions and, you know, obviously how he handled himself when his locker was moved in Cleveland, um, it's maturity really for him. And hopefully, you know, he's been nothing but great since he's been in Houston. There's no, no knocks, but, you know, you just Hopefully those type of issues don't surface and he's actually growing and maturing and moving past those things because he has a lot of talent and he's six five six six as a point guard. And that's what they're grooming him to be. That's what he's claiming to be. And that's 
I mean, that's just great. If his defense comes along, and again, that's that's a guy who really needs to improve his defense. I'd rather see him working on defensive drills than running in different basketball camps and just scoring a bunch. I think he's got enormous upside as well. Yeah, because Jalen Green kept saying that he wants to be like Kobe. And if he wants to be like Kobe, he's going to have to sometimes get in Porter's face and tell him, you know, you got to be better than this. That's what we see from LeBron too. I mean, it's not just Kobe. All, All the great players, they don't take that stuff. They don't take... A guy not hustling and a guy not focusing and, and doing, you know, even Akeem, he was not apt to not do something like that. So that that's the thing I got to see with Jalen Green is like, you can't just be buddy buddies and best friends with Kevin Porter. You're going to have to get on him too. Yeah, that's a good point. We'll find out in time if Jalen Green has that that type of, uh, you know, get in your face mentality. And I don't know if necessarily we've seen that, but I mean, everyone from coaches to, to former teammates talk about his his drive, how he's a sponge, he absorbs things quickly, and how he wants wants to uh, absorb these things quickly and learn and grow. But yes, I, I would admit that you know Jordan, Kobe, those guys have sort of that. They're not making friends. I mean, they they burned some bridges with some teammates uh, because of of their mentality. And you know, we'll, time will tell if I think Jalen Green has that in him. All right, let's move on to the next draft pick. The Rockets dealt the Pistons and Wizards protected first round picks to get Alperen Shangoon. You and I were at David Wiener's draft party and you guys just exploded with that move. What was that all about? <laughs> well, I, it was it was really a mix of emotions because at first, you know, the, the first report was the Rockets have traded for the, the 16th pick. And so we were just ecstatic. I think I was, I caught that first and I was like, hey, the Rockets just got, you know, 16. And, you know, we were running a, the list of guys that would be available and, you know, the first one that came to mind for me was Jalen Johnson. I, I like Jalen Johnson. I wasn't sure I liked him trading up significantly to get him, but I was really hoping that Jalen Johnson would fall to 23 and, you know, maybe maybe trading up to get him here. I, I liked that possibility. And when it was Shangun, for me, you know, David and I had talked about it on a podcast. I, you know, I had Shangun on my list of guys that I hoped would go ahead of the Rockets at 23, and he was really no longer on that list because – there was no need to hope. I mean, Shangun was not going to fall to 23. And so we had a little bit of a disagreement on that. So it was fascinating that the Rockets would trade for that pick and for it to be for Shangun. That threw me for a, a loop initially. But the price that they paid sounds high, two first round picks. It, it really wasn't. Those picks were going to convey over time. They weren't extremely valuable. We had them down as far as the lowest on the board that the Rockets had as far as all the first round picks in their arsenal. And they really like him. And there were a lot of draft analysts that I respect that had Shangun top five, top eight on their board. I'm not saying he was. He certainly wasn't on my board because simply because I think his player type is what I'm worried about in the league. I mean, I've thrown the Ennis Cantor thing out there, and and maybe that's a little bit unfair because he's from Turkey and and you don't want to just assume, you know, he's the same type of player. But he is a post scorer. That's his greatest strength. Even looking at a guy like Jaleel Okafor came out with so much hype and he's a post scorer and doesn't really impact the game in in any other way, really. Um, and so that was my fear with Shangun. I was like, let's let someone else take him and, and bump someone else to the Rockets. But I think where I've changed my mind on him is just seeing the ways that, you know, maybe he will be able to do other things. He He has incredible post moves. He is a very, very, very promising prospect as far as his ability to score inside looks to be pretty tough and his ability to rebound. I think that's going to translate. He's only 19. It's going to take a little time to groom him, but I think that's going to translate. 
but he's got to develop three-point range. I think he will. He's an over 81% free throw shooter. Just didn't shoot very many in the Turkish Super League, but it's defensively. Can it just be to the point where you're not out there saying, well, Shangun's on the court, so they're just going to target him. They're going to screen and switch and, and, and until you know the superstar player gets Shangun on a on a switch and and look out. And now you got to bench Shangun just because you know the other team's just torturing him. If he's can get his defense to a passable level within a team concept, then this could be a really really good pick. And the Rockets love him. I mean, they're, they're super high on him. I think that's a lot of that's an analytics model that that has that. But I'm down with the pick at this point. But I, when you talk about my initial reaction, that was it because I did not have Shingun on my favorites list. Yeah, it seems everybody immediately wants to go to comparing him to other Turkish big guys or other foreign big guys. I guess the one foreign big guy that might be the ceiling for him could be Sabonis maybe. Does that sound like the ceiling that you would think that would be most apt for him? Yeah, and that would be that would be pretty darn good. I mean, DeMontis Sabonis is a really good player. I kind of look at him like a supercharged uh, Scola. I think as far as his post moves, when you watch him play and some of those spins and counters and the footwork, it is a lot like a young Kevin McHale. And Kevin McHale was an elite defensive player, so I'm not saying he's Kevin McHale. I'm just saying it draws some of those comparisons as far as his turns and twists and fakes and and, and uh, counters and all of those things in, in, that he has in his bag as far as post moves. But yes, I think that would be the upside. The, the, I think the fear would be more Ennis Cantor. And Cantor's a you know, he's a solid player in the league. He, he he continues to get decent contracts and play roles on teams, but you can target him. You know, you can find a defensive weakness in, in a lineup that, that runs with Ennis Cantor. And so I'm hoping he's not Ennis Cantor. There's more to him than that. And his, he's got better passing ability than Cantor. Uh, I, I don't want to discredit that. I mean, some have, have thrown the Jokic comparisons out there, and I don't see that. But if those things can be worked on, can be improved – then, you know, this is nothing but a great roll of the dice for really not a, an enormous price, as high as two first-round picks sounds. It really wasn't an expensive price, in my opinion. I am surprised that they were able to make this trade with Oklahoma City because you would think Oklahoma City would be able to, would want to take a guy like Shingun if they had him as high on their board as the Rockets did. Certainly, I'm sure they would have. But that's the surprise to me because I came into this draft looking at OKC and Houston as direct competitors, rivals uh, in this draft. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's a, the hopeful comp that you're seeing a guy like DeMontis Sabonis in the league. Exactly right. With Oklahoma City, I have no idea what they're doing, but that's another story for another day. I want to move to the next pick, though. With the 23rd pick, the Rockets took Usman Garuba from Real Madrid, also listed as a center with Nigerian parents. Mm, that worked out pretty well before. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You know, um, that was universally loved. That, you know, and you probably saw the reaction there. That was who we hoped would be taken at that spot. I think we knew we had we had guys like Cam Thomas and Sharif Cooper as the two players that if they went ahead of the Rockets at 23, the Rockets were going to get a very strong prospect, if not two. Um, at 23 and 24, and neither of those two players went ahead of the Rockets. So it was a shock, but really Joshua Primo was the one who stepped up and, and going at 12, bumped um, Garuba down. I love this pick. I'm just extremely ecstatic. He's 19 years old. He's been, I think, with Real Madrid since he was 16, 17 years old. He's a great defensive player. 
Uh, he's got to improve offensively. He really has nothing in his in his arsenal right now as far as an offensive game. Slightly starting to, to pick up as far as three-point attempts, and, and he will space the floor as far as positioning. But I think his defensive instincts, his tenacity, his hustle, extra effort, his wingspan, he's got seven-foot-three wingspan. I think fans are going to love Usman Garuba with the Rockets. Right now, uh, I, I view him as a, a defensive role player coming off the bench, but if he develops three-point range just to the point where like a P.J. Tucker type of role where he's able to, to be in the corner. He could be a starting four in the league. He's that good defensively, um, and he's only 19. Like there's just so much growth to be had there with him. So I, I love this pick, and especially when now you have two centers in Christian Wood and Alpert and Shangun that are so offensive-minded, so scoring-focused. I, I love this. This is this gives me a little bit of hope for the Rockets that it's not a bunch of scores because they really haven't had, outside of maybe Jay Sean Tate, much of a defensive mindset at all. I agree with you on all of that, but man, his jump shot is ugly, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it can get better. His, his free throw shooting is about 60%. I think it's uh, just a hair under that, so it's not great. He's going to have to get better at it. Um, I don't know if he's to the point where, you know, you, you hack him intentionally to get him to the line, but he's right now, as far as offensive game, he's a, a rim runner. He'll move. His, his I mean, I— in a way, it's kind of like a Patrick Beverly of a power forward position where, you know, he's going to be all over the court, certainly defensively. And as far as offensively, he'll set some mean screens. He'll roll. You know, the ball will find him in, in a lot of opportunities. But certainly this is not a guy you, you you dump the ball into the post and he makes post moves or square up in isolation out on the wing. I mean, he's, his offensive game is completely limited. And I think what you hope, you know, at best out of him is to be not an offensive liability in the same way that you hope Shangun's not a defensive liability that, you know, he can just be the guy that spaces the floor on offense and knocks down the threes. And that's how you uh, can get an elite defensive player out there by just simply being passable on offense. With his intelligence on defense. And I saw a lot of that when I was watching the film, I don't know about you, but also with the athleticism, I mean, is there Kawhi potential for him defensively? I don't know if it's Kawhi, but I mean, they're definitely different players, right? Kawhi is a, a legit two-way wing. But what fascinates me about this, Robert, is, you know, I watched Spain versus Slovenia in the Olympics the other day, and he picked up Luka Doncic full court a couple of times. And that was his assignment. The first time, I think Luka hit a step back three. And honestly, Garuba's defense was was near flawless. Just, just a great player hitting a great shot. But I mean... He's going to give players outside of the post problems. If Garuba switches out on a on a two guard or a wing, they're not going to be thinking be thinking barbecue chicken like James Harden. This is a guy who can defend those type of players. His footwork, his ability to pivot and and, and move his hips looks elite. Looks really really good. So and it's not like Mobley exactly, but his ability to guard drivers and then quickly switch over, you know, if the pass goes down to a, a low post player and block a shot. Uh, we, I've seen that several times from him. It's just going to be, I think, infectious and uh, fans are going to love watching a guy like him because his his energy and effort and hustle is is always going to be there. And, I, you know, in watching that game in Slovenia as well, you could tell when his teammates missed an assignment, it bothered him. It was mentioned on the broadcast that he's a perfectionist. He, it really bothers him when mistakes are made. And when he makes mistakes, I think this is a guy who also is going to take the game very seriously uh, and is going to add a lot to the Rockets defensively, which is 
there's so much to add to this team defensively. So he's going to add a lot of that. Yeah. And in case anybody missed what I said, I said Kawhi defensively. I did not say Kawhi overall, <laughs> but let's get to the next pick because the Rockets grabbed Josh Christopher with the 24th pick. He's out of Arizona State. Just a reminder, the franchise has had pretty good success with the big guard out of Arizona State. So that's good. I know <laughs> you weren't too excited about this one, David, but let me just point out before you get going on this, he was ESPN's 11th best prospect coming out of high school. Guys he was rated ahead of in his class are Moses Moody, Jalen Johnson, Keon Johnson, Isaiah Jackson. I think all those guys were picked in front of him in the draft. Then there was also Isaiah Todd, Jaden Springer, Cam Thomas, and somebody named Kenyon Martin Jr. because they were actually in the same class, David. I think the reason there was such a, there was a disappointment level when they took made this pick was the predictability of it. They had Jalen Green in the Monday before the draft for a workout. Josh Christopher was there as well, which already drew some concerns that, okay, well, we already know they're taking Jalen Green, right? I mean, that's 99% certainty that they're taking Jalen Green at number two. So we already knew that. And, and the, I don't want to say fear, but the, you know, maybe a little bit of a concern was like, well, are they now going to take Josh Christopher, his close buddy that he's known since seventh grade or played with since seventh grade? Are they going to take him with one of their later picks? And they did. And combined with the fact that somebody who I was really high on, Jaden Springer out of Tennessee, I thought would have just been a home run pick right there. He was available. So obviously my initial feeling is disappointment. That's my initial reaction and, and feeling like, okay, they now need to put a, a buddy of their their new star on the team. I, I admit that may be completely unfair, um, but that's my initial reaction, just putting that out there. But in hearing the Rockets talk about him and in looking at some of his highlights in a different way, there's encouraging things here. Um, certainly his likability is, is through the roof. He's very charismatic. Fans are going to be drawn to him and love him. He's the kind of guy who seems like he's going to be on the bench going crazy when the team's playing well and he's not out on the floor. They talk up, up uh, his transition ability that feel like he's already, you know, if not one of the best transition players in the draft, he's going to, that, that's going to translate to the league right away. And his defense, to be honest, I think I may be underrated. His defensibility, Rafael Stone thinks he's going to be, he has the potential to be, excuse me, a lockdown defender in the league. You hear that phrase and that's like, wow, that's, there's a tremendous value in that to be able to throw somebody like that on a hot scoring wing or guard. So if Josh Christopher pans out to be that, then this is a great pick. But for me, there were concerns. He shot just 30.5% from three-point range. More, It was more of a volume. I, I don't want to say volume, but just a guy who had the ball in his hands and looked to create his own shot. He's not a great passer. You know, offensively, his game at Arizona State was not super impressive to me, but as you mentioned, 11th ranked prospect coming out of ESPN. Sometimes guys like that, that play poorly in their college season, just you can take advantage of a bad fit. I mean, Zaire Williams went 10th and he had a terrible season at Stanford. So maybe the Rockets found a little bit of a hidden gem. Again, I, I gave the grade a C plus on, on that particular pick. But I definitely see some promise here and I'm excited to watch him play for the Rockets. Yeah, I don't know what you think about what happened with the COVID season, but you wonder how much that plays into how a guy did this past year and whether GMs are sort of taking that into account with how they were ranked coming out of high school as compared to how they performed the first year. And the other part about Christopher is you mentioned only a 30% three-point shooter this year, but 
80% from the free throw line. And if you talk to NBA guys, they'll all tell you that that's the most predictive thing of the guy's potential as a three-point shooter, right? I agree. That's a very good point. You know, I, he did take a decent volume. I think he took about four threes a game at Arizona State. But if you guy can knock down open free throws, as you mentioned, it's usually indicative of that this is not a flaw in their form or in their ability to shoot. That three-point range will come with time. So, yeah, that, that's an excellent point. He only played 15 games because of some injuries. So that might have something to do with his percentages because usually you need a larger sample size than 15 games to kind of gauge what a guy was as far as a shooter is concerned. Defensively, he's got the physical tools to do it. But one of the things that I read in the scouting report, David, I don't know if you caught this, but he's got the habit of sleeping a little bit when he's not looking at his guy and the getting beat back door. A lot of that stuff reminded me of uh, another guy out of Arizona State that played for the Rockets. <laughs> right, right. You know, and, and I, I don't want to talk this aspect up necessarily, but, you know, there's familiarity with Jalen Green. Again, you want Jalen Green to be that leader and that guy who's, you know, if he's seeing goofing off or whatever, he's he's keeping it real. But there is a benefit long term. If Christopher pans out, especially, you hope that that creates even some more loyalty for Green uh, to stay with the Rockets long term. And, and granted, that's not a concern at this point. I mean, so far, everything's great. And, you know, when when it comes to rookies, there's a lot of reason to think that the team that drafts that player has control over their rights for some time. I mean, just uh, given the extension ability and all that stuff, um, restricted free agency and what have you, but it, it does help. And, and Stone says the Rockets, you know, they're, they're rebuilding and they want to have fun as well. And I think that's going to go a long way. Josh Christopher will uh, to this team having some fun. If you hear draft people talk, they often mention that it's, you know, not the best thing to have a bunch of first round picks on a single season. Can you explain the reason for that? Because I always thought the more chances that you've got in the draft, the better chance that one of those guys is going to hit and hit big. So, you know, to me, the percentages keep drafting guys in the first round, the more you have the better instead of, Oh, we're going to wait and push it one or two years down the road. I understand that draft picks, they get, maybe they're supposedly more valuable in trades down the road, but the longer you push it off, and if you're still drafting those guys, the issue with that is that you're pushing down the development. So it's like another year down the road and another year down the road. And you can't ever assume that these guys are going to develop sooner than at least three years before you're going to start seeing whether they're good or not. Yeah, that's an interesting conversation, actually, because you look at a team like o Oklahoma City, and I don't know—I don't know how many picks they have, thirty or some. I don't know if that's combined with their second-round picks in the next five, six years, or, or whatever it is. They have this incredible amount of picks, and as far as currency, that's extremely valuable, and it will be extremely valuable. They will use it as such. But I think the reason the Rockets were even able to get Shangun is because they don't have that. I mean, Shea Gilgis Alexander is a good player, but they—they they don't have that elite talent through the draft yet. And they need to keep kicking the can down as far as, you know, down the road, as far as keeping those picks in the air, because when this comes time for them to make that move, they want to build up to put those picks together and, and make a trade, or they hope that those picks uh, turn out to be top four and they're able to get a cornerstone type piece. But the, the reason I mention all that is if they were to use all those picks, the value actually gets to a point where it's decreasing. They cannot use all those picks. And 
I think a lot of teams would love to see the, the Oklahoma City Thunder have to just sit there and eat those picks, and and they would have to move guys that they don't want to move just to keep drafting those players. I think in looking at the Rockets and adding four first-round picks, you do want to have some mix of veterans to show those guys. I think if you're adding a bunch of first-round picks and your whole team is rookies or second-year players, then you're the you know Philadelphia 76ers in 2012 or, or 2013 or what have you, and you're going to struggle. I don't care how good those rookies are. They're going to struggle against extremely experienced, professional NBA uh, players. But I think the Rockets have a two-year window to do that, um, to let the guys take some bumps along the way and develop. What do you think is more likely to happen with Eric Gordon? Does he get dealt after the deck gets shuffled in free agency? Because this is going to be interesting free agency. And a lot of teams might think, well, you know, I don't know if we got what we needed after all of this. So Eric Gordon is an option and the musical chairs, you know, sort of disappear and, oh, Eric Gordon's still out there. We can deal for him. Or do you think it's more likely that Eric Gordon has moved at the trade deadline? It's a great question. I don't know. I have looked at all, pretty much all the 29 teams in the league outside of the Rockets as, as far as potential fits. And it's certainly um, a longer list for Gordon than it is for John Wall. My list for John Wall is one, the LA Clippers. That's maybe it. You could maybe find another fit depending on value. But as far as for the Rockets to just move that contract, it's the Clippers. But, you know, in the case of Gordon, if it wasn't for the contract, there would be a lot of teams knocking on the Rockets' door for Eric Gordon. He's a two-way player. A lot of times we don't look at him like that way. At that way, but but he is. And Rafael Stone even compared uh, Josh Christopher's sort of build, defensive build, to Jeru Holiday and Eric Gordon, which surprised even me because I'm you know I I know he's a good defensive player, but we sometimes don't look at him that way. I think he fits a lot of teams. It's just whether you can get that contract in there. The Clippers to me is. Uh, kind of like the same thing with John Wall, is one that really makes a lot of sense. Um, the Knicks uh, as well for him. You know, I would have said the Pelicans, but, you know, they have a history with him and, and the fans can't stand him because he left them. So to me, I, I think there's a handful of teams, but it's just tough that to find that salary fit because his contract does go for two more years plus a partial guarantee on the third. And if he, you know, I think if he makes the all-star game or wins the title along the way, that that third year becomes fully guaranteed. So right now, to be honest with you, I'm looking at the Clippers and I'm looking at, to answer your question, when things shake out, let's see where Kyle Lowry goes. Let's see where Chris Paul goes, Mike Conley. Once those things shake out and there's cap room to be used uh, for some teams out there. I and mean, I think the Knicks have an incredible amount of cap room. Um, I think the Mavs and, and the Pelicans. So let's see what happens with that first. Then the Rockets might be able to make a move, but I don't think they're in a hurry. If nothing goes right as far as a trade, they could still hold on to these two players. It's just who are they blocking as far as development? I mean, John Wall, especially you've got KPJ, you've got Jalen Green. Now, Josh Christopher, you want to be able to play these guards. And John Wall is a star point guard making huge dollars. And if he's on your roster, you, you expect to play him. So that's the only impediment right now, in my opinion, to the Rockets not trading him. I was talking to David on Thursday night, and he was saying that there are 13 guys under contract for the Rockets right now, if you factor everything with first-round picks and, and who they've got right now. If David said it, I believe it. But I'm saying I don't. Um, I haven't done the actual count right myself. Yeah, so the interesting thing and the reason I bring that up is that if there are 13 guys and the Rockets are 
close to hitting that max of guys that you would have on the roster. Is that at all an issue if you're trying to trade John Wall? Because if you're trying to trade John Wall, you're likely getting multiple guys back. So they they want they wouldn't fit in in the roster unless you can move them real quickly for a trade exception or something like that. Is that something that you've thought about at all? Was trying to because because you want to get rid of John Wall if you can, and I don't know if you can, but there there's that potential if somebody out there gets desperate for a point guard. That's a good point. I, I if I I wouldn't want to be quoted on this, but I think it's something like you can carry up to twenty up to a certain point. I think that's what they would do if they were you know you, you look at a team like um, the Clippers. If you were to trade John Wall, it's you're probably getting three players back. Uh, you know, some combination of Kennard, who has his own contract issues, but at, certainly at a smaller scale, and then expirings like Beverly, Rondo, Ibaka, whatever's the least painful uh, for the Clippers, I would assume. And at that point, you're probably playing the role of an OKC. Okay, you, you took on a contract that they necessarily didn't want. It's expiring. Could you flip Beverly? to a team that has happens to have 12 to to 14 million dollars worth of expiring that has is really of no use to them. So you're still taking back the same expiring contract value and maybe picking up uh, a first or a second or something along those lines. And that's what they would be doing. And then at some point you're you're just going to have to buy out a guy. You 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 know, don't plan on playing and let them go play somewhere else. That's that's the role the Rockets are in right now unfortunately. You know, they we for 7 8 years we were in the the position of Hey, who's is this team going to buy out that player? Then we could scoop them up. Now we're the, we're now the team that's going to be buying out guys. You know, we'll see. But I I think that's what you would hope they do. You know, as far as a roster crunch, how they get around it, um, if they're able to to trade Gordon or Wolf and get back two three players in each deal. From a scale of one to ten. How disappointed were you that the Lakers ruined their chances of a championship this year by trading for Russell Westbrook? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's so fascinating because before, you know, when the Rockets were contenders, this kind of thing concerned me. Oh, this team got better. You know, but when I first saw that, that when I first saw the report from Woj that they were the Lakers were going after Buddy Heald. Um, and they or they were close to a deal. I thought, wow, you know, I know Buddy Heald has his own issues, but that that could really be a great trade for the Lakers. Uh, I mean, they need an elite shooter around two guys who could draw double teams. Agreed. Yeah, to me, it's to me that was a great addition. Um, and you know, they they found a contract that was painful to the Kings, and it, it worked out great for them to switch to Russell Westbrook. It, it just goes to show you, Robert, that there's still this difference in value of how players are perceived. And what they actually do. Now, I say that knowing that Daryl Morey, who's, you know, the master of understanding what players actually do, once traded for Russell Westbrook and gave up two first round picks and two first round pick swaps to do it. So, you know, I don't want to make it sound like analytics people totally understand it. Granted, he was in a tough spot there. It wasn't really necessarily him driving that. But Russell Westbrook is going to create a lot of spacing issues for them and a lot of, I think, flow offensive game plan issues for them. I, you know, he's a great player. He's just this dominating force. I don't, I don't even know if I like to use that term because it kind of implies just going out there and winning, but he just does so many things when he's on the floor. I think it's going to end up hurting the team. The best thing I've heard as far as a, a positive thing for the Lakers is that he'll take the load off of LeBron on a season where LeBron can possibly chill a little bit and let him do so much of the heavy lifting. But 
you know, I to me, you've got to have shooters around those those guys. And we saw the problem in adding Russell Westbrook to a team that just placed the highest premium on shooting and all the things that they had to do, trade Capella, just to try to make that work. I don't like it for the Lakers. And, and in my opinion, if he goes to the Lakers and can't win a title, maybe people will finally understand that, yeah, he's a great box score player uh, and does so many positive things. But there's a ceiling on what you can accomplish when Russell Westbrook is that dominating of a usage guy on your team. It's funny to watch a fan base try to convince themselves that Russell Westbrook is going to help them out. And he's going to be the missing piece. I think we had some Rockets fans that got delusional, David. It's the box score idea. The whole idea that you're adding a, you know, 20 and 10 guy or 20, 10 and 10, a triple double. I mean, it's just, it, it just becomes intoxicating to, to think that way. Like, wow, this guy does so much. And we just added him to the team, but I don't think this is going to turn out the way the Lakers uh, think it's going to turn out. And I wonder, honestly, if the Lakers were in the, you know, Rob Palenka was in the exact same spot that Daryl Morey was, that the stars dictated this and he had to go out and do it. But, uh, you know, Buddy Heald, you know, if you're looking at Hall of Fame, Buddy Heald versus Russell Westbrook, uh, you know, it's Russell Westbrook all day by a mile. But if you're looking at wanting to win on this particular team, I it would have been Buddy Heald by 10 miles for me. So um, I... I took a little bit of pleasure out of seeing them make that trade. Oh yeah, for sure. And and I wanted to ask you, as you were watching the finals, were you more happy for PJ Tucker winning a championship or were you more a little bit sad that Chris Paul didn't finally get that chip? Uh, I was pulling for the Suns. I wanted to see Chris Paul win it. Um, I'm happy for PJ. So I'm not, um, I don't want to trash that aspect, but I, I guess it just the whole thing with Milwaukee making it there and and sort of changing this whole uh, legendary status of of Giannis's uh, the way he's perceived, I I guess rubs me a little bit the wrong way because just because Brooklyn did injury wise completely crumble. And who knows, maybe Milwaukee still would have won that series. But uh, I mean, you know, Harden was 25, 30 percent in that in the final few games. Uh, playing on a hamstring he never should have played on, and, and Kyrie went out. Um, I have a hard time. Again, I'm not a Brooklyn fan. I just have a hard time feeling like Milwaukee was the best team in the league, given what happened to to Brooklyn injury wise. So Giannis gets an asterisk. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> nah, I, I hate doing that too, because obviously what Giannis did in that series was amazing. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You know what he did there and accomplished. I, I don't want to take anything away from it. It's just that I felt like I, I was pulling for Chris Paul to begin with. And I just felt like it would have been more fitting if Brooklyn had been there. I thought they were easily the best team in the, in the East. I don't want to say easily. I thought they were a little bit better than Philadelphia, but I thought they, they should have been there. All right. Back to the Rockets. And I just, as the, I was thinking about this. If the season started today, who do you think is the Rockets starting five? Well, if it started today, I think you'd have to start John Wall. The whole KPJ, Jalen Green thing, that's that's interesting. I think maybe they would say KPJ and let, let's let Jalen Green um, come off the bench just initially uh, because he's, you know, he is a rookie. But KPJ's a a point guard. So, right, at least that's what the, the role they're having him at. Jay Sean Tate is the, the small forward. Christian Wood, obviously, the center. And then the power forward is the question. <laughs> that's a, a really tough one for me. I mean, you've got stature, if, if anything, with, with Kmart. But I feel like... Garuba will probably play his way into the starting role until 
Shangun starts to get a little bit more acclimated to the NBA game. Um, but that's how I view it. I would I would play Garuba at power forward, Wood at uh, center, Tate, KPJ and Wall. But Jalen Green will be starting, if not right away, very very quickly. And let's see what happens with John Wall. But I'm, you know, the, the starting backcourt obviously would be KPJ and Green as soon as something happens with John Wall. That's not a lot of shooting out there if you're talking about no. Wall, Porter, and Jayshon Tate as your one, two, and three. It's not, which is good, which is, which is good when you're not exactly like trying to go out there and, and destroy the competition, right? I mean, this this team is still obviously a few years away, in my opinion, from making the playoffs. Uh, they could surprise. Maybe they could be a play-in team. Um, Christian Wood could have an all-star all-star type of year this year, and I think that would be great on many levels for the Rockets if that's the case. Maybe they will be better than I'm envisioning. I'm currently looking at them about being the seventh worst team in the league. I wouldn't mind if they were worse, to be totally honest with you. But I'm going to have fun cheering for them, pulling for them to win and, and watching these guys grow and develop. But I don't look at it like the Rockets need to roll out the roster, the starting lineup, if you will, that is going to win night in night out it's it's about developing these guys and part of that's trying to win but developing the young guys first and foremost what's going on with daniel thice and kelly olenic what's going to happen there i wouldn't be surprised if the rockets add uh, thice uh, to the team as long as they're adding guys on reasonable contracts preferably ones that don't go beyond two years then they can move those guys when the time comes it's overpaying and being locked in on somebody that's a problem. John, like I said, I've mentioned before, John Wall and Eric Gordon, a lot of teams in the league would love to have those players. Their contracts, not so much. And so that's why it's so important in the league today to get guys on reasonable contracts. Because then you, if you do need to move them, you can easily and actually get positive assets in exchange. The other way around, if you manage the cap poorly and, and sign Guys, to bad deals, it's costing you to unload those guys. So to answer your question, I could see them definitely adding Tice. I like Justice Winslow as a possible addition as well because I think his his value has been knocked down to the point where he could maybe restore it in his hometown. And as far as Olenek, for me, it's about sign and trade possibilities. If there's a team out there that wants to sign him to, with cap space and Detroit's been a, a rumored team, can the Rockets – just simply sign and trade him. Uh, and I would think that Detroit would play ball so that they can get a trade exception and have a year to possibly use it if if they feel like they can. If they sign him to a 15-year deal and they get a $15 million trade exception, that's extremely valuable. Now you can take on a contract that expires or goes up to 2023, up to $15 million for essentially nothing. And you're going to be able to reel in some real positive assets as a result of that trade. So that's what I'm hoping as far as Kennedy Olenek. I'd love to see him back here, but if he's if his contract value is high, then let's see the Rockets pull off a sign and trade. Daniel House, DJ Augustine, they're both gone by the deadline this year, would you say? I think so. I wouldn't be surprised if House is traded soon. Augustine is certainly serviceable, backup point guard, a veteran, a guy you'd love to have in your locker room. I just think that if they can find a fit, I think he makes about $7 million a year. I don't quote me on that. If they can find a, a, a fit for somebody who could really use him, then I think they'll move him. But House is the one I think for sure will be will be traded. This is a question that I, I don't even know the answer to myself, but... What do you do with Christian Wood? Do you really think he's a long-term guy? Do you think he would re-sign here in a year? Because you really have to make that decision within the year. You can't wait until 
the next season when he's a free agent uh, coming up to, to make that decision. You know, he's got two years left. You're right. And if he elevates his play, he's, he looked very good when he was healthy last year. Then can you move him? I mean, I keep an eye on Golden State as just a possibility. I'm not saying that they would, because but they've got a lot of young pieces. Can you move him for young guys? I don't know if the Rockets are going to want to give him a max contract in, in two years. Or maybe it's not a max contract, but the type of contract he's going to want to command. I don't think that's in the cards. So it's for a lot of fans, it's kind of sacrilegious to mention trading Christian Wood. But I think you have to look at that between now and the deadline, especially if he plays very well because of that. And I think you've narrowed the right timeline because you don't want to trade him when he's you know, expiring, which is a, you know, a year and a half from now. You want to trade him while he's got good value on his contract and a contending team could use him. So I think it's something you have to look at. I, I do not worry at all about the Rockets trading anybody who's not in their plans beyond 2023. And if Christian Wood isn't at the value, at the, the salary that he's going to command, then you have to look at it. You have to consider all the options. Yeah, my big concern about Christian Wood, and I don't know what you've heard, David, but I hear rumblings that he's not always the greatest locker room guy. And you watch him on the court sometimes and him not getting back playing defense and he's sitting there and arguing with the officials. He thinks somehow that he's a, one of the best superstars in NBA history when he's basically been a journeyman most of his career. I get it. The numbers are great, but... You know, these are numbers on a team that was the worst team in the NBA. And, you know, it's the old Charles Barkley term, a looter and a riot. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know if he's the guy that you want hanging around Jalen Green and Ugaruba and Shangoon. What do you think about that? I have not heard that necessarily. Now, maybe he does look at some of those guys as a threat to his job. And hopefully we don't see any issues. And I, I, I have not heard necessarily that Christian was an issue in the locker room. That doesn't mean it's not true. I just haven't heard it. I just think if you can move him for significant pieces at that point in time, you have to consider it because they have some extremely young guys and you want to pick up pieces that are part of your long-term rebuild. You don't want to give long-term contracts to anyone that are not in the long-term build plans. And by long-term on contract, I mean beyond 2023. Whatever you want to do salary-wise for the next two years, it's just fine. But if you want to give a contract beyond that, you better be sure that's your guy. And you know, you look at a team like Philadelphia right now. They have Tobias Harris, who's a very good player, locked up to a deal that is ridiculous. And it is going to hurt Joel Embiid's prime. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Ben Simmons as well. That's a, a whole different story and a whole bunch of different issues. But if you're locking in a guy long term, big money, you better hope he is the guy and the perfect fit around the players that you have. Or if that's not the case, that that contract at big money is movable. All I have to do is show the comparison of James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is a negative value contract. James Harden is a positive value contract, and they're making roughly the same amount of money. That's the way it is. And so to me, cap management and how, how much you give a guy is so important. And if Christian Wood is going to want that more money than you're willing to give to him, you have to look at trading him uh, regardless of all these other things. But we'll, we'll find that out as far as locker room fit and you know how well he plays and how well he fits with some of these young guys in the next season, if not before the trade deadline. So I'm not too worried about it. You know, like from what I had heard or from what I've seen, I should say he's, you know, been a positive influence, but you know, I, I think you have to look at it just because they are in such a unique opportunity to rebuild the right way. 
Any other thoughts, anything that you've been thinking about since the draft? I'm just super excited about the, the future of the Rockets. I think they nailed the draft. I'm extremely grateful for how fortunate they were because they really were extremely fortunate to get the number two pick and not have to give up their pick. If that had happened, the situation the Rockets would be in right now would be nowhere near as fortuitous as it is right now. So I'm excited. And I think the Rockets, the way the stars are aligning um, by 2023, they're they're going to be a playoff team. And Oklahoma City is not going to get the value on the draft picks that they're owed quite the, the way they hoped. And at least that's the, the, the thinking that, that I have right now for the Rockets. Well, yeah, I'm excited. I, I can't tell you how excited I am because I, I really like the way the Rockets handled this draft. David, it's it's one of the bigger surprises to me that Raphael Stone has looked this good so far as general manager. I, I was not expecting this. Don't know if I was expecting that necessarily either. I think he's done a lot of great moves. I maybe didn't place enough value on how important he was with Daryl Morey. I mean, he certainly learned from a, a guy who's very savvy. You know, he's his own guy. I'm not trying to give Daryl Morey necessarily credit, but I'm saying this is not his first rodeo as far as doing these type of things. It's just his first rodeo as the front facing guy. So he's done an excellent job. I thought they did a really good job at the draft. I love all the guys that they've added in the front office as far as draft and scouting. Um, they've placed a, a heavy investment on that. And, you know, let's see how these guys pan out. But from what it looks like in the guys that they got, it looks like th th that investment has paid off. Clutch Fans is the place to go for all of your Rockets fandom. It's right there, clutchfans.net. It's been around for, what is it now, 24 years? 25, I think, 1996. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it's just about to hit 25 years. Yeah, quarter quarter century of uh, Rockets fandom on Clutch Fans. Um, if you're looking for more from our podcast, in a couple of days we're going to talk about the Astros, me and my co-host Stephen Kerr. We've been doing this for nearly eight years now, weekly, over a 1,000 podcasts. You can always reach us on Twitter, Facebook, or email info at HoustonSportsDoc.net. HoustonSportsDoc.net. That's our website. Until next time, stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hunter.